Hi, I'm Peter, and you're listening to Defining Boundaries. Welcome back to Season 2. I hope that you enjoyed the past year of conversations from amazing people from around the world within our geospatial community. This year, I look forward to many more conversations, and I hope that you join me on my journey, surveying the world one story at a time. Head over to my Patreon site if you'd like to support the show. You can make a donation towards the purchase and upgrading of equipment, website subscription and file hosting. If you'd like to join me to have a chat or you have someone in particular from the industry that you'd like to hear about, send me a message. You'll find the link in the show notes or in my bio on all social media and my website petercox.com. A quick shout out to my friends Pat and his team at Ausdetect. I'm all about supporting my friends their small businesses, and in general, helping people get ahead. While I randomly won a Bunnings voucher from Ausdetect for sharing their post on Instagram. I chatted with Pat, the owner, and suggested instead of the voucher, would it be more beneficial if we did a couple of supporting ads on the podcast? It's a win-win for both of us. So this week's episode is proudly brought to you by Ausdetect. Ausdetect is an underground utility locating and survey company based in Gregory Hills, New South Wales. They are a proud family-owned and operated company with over 20 years of combined experience. Ausdetect are specialists in all things underground utilities and much, much more. By providing a trustworthy service and working to the highest safety standards possible, they're ensuring that their clients have peace of mind for the entire duration of their project, whether that project is large or small. At Ausdetect, Pat and his team get the job done right the first time. For your locating needs, check them out at ausdetect.com.au or find the link in my show notes. So, if you're ready, let's go. Grab a drink, sit back, relax and enjoy our chat. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. My guest today is Phil Fedor. Phil is a survey project manager at Bauman and registered land surveyor in Arizona and certified survey technician through the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Born in Syracuse, New York, he is now based in Phoenix, Arizona with his, I think it's two, so I hope I got that right, two lovely girls. Um, two lovely Two? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Awesome. I was thinking, oh my God, is it? Yes. Two two girls, lovely wife and beautiful horses. Growing up, Phil wanted to be a cowboy before moving on to being a rock star as a teen. He began his career back in New York 31 years ago. He has a love for all things horses and he calls himself a horseman and outdoorsman who enjoys camping, fishing and hiking. He states that he used to hike a lot until land surveying wore him down. A giving and kind charity man, Phil spends a lot of his time helping various charities as a volunteer. Welcome, Phil. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me, Peter. Oh, it's nice to speak to people across the sea. (laughs) Yeah, big one. Pacific, yeah, it's a long ways away. It sure is. It sure is. So tell me, you were born, now is it Syracuse? Did I get that right? Yeah, you got to correct. Ah, yes. Yeah. You're batting a thousand, you're hitting every one of them. So yeah. nice. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting more more international. <laughs> oh no, seriously. What um? So 
So what was it like growing up in – so it's part of New York, an area, yeah? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a yeah, mid-sized city in central New York. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe a grand total of about a half a million people clustered around. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's it's not a very big city, 500,000 people. Mm-hmm. But – it was big enough that you know there's a there's a major university, major private university there, Syracuse University, and um, you know it's a it, it was a good upbringing. I mean, it was a good it was a good place to grow up. Um, my dad was an electrical engineer. My mom stayed at home. I had three younger brothers, mm-hmm. and you know and my and dad when when he had his weekends or took time off, we were always fishing or boating or camping or doing something because that's what he loved to do. So I kind of, I got it. I, I got it honestly. <laughs> so as a, as a little kid wanting to be a cowboy, um, where did that come from? Because you kind of, kind of are now. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, New York state is not known for its cowboy no, culture. No. Yeah, one, one thinks about, uh, you know, you know, the old West and, uh, Cowboys and horses mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, they they envision the American West. You know, the the dry deserts and the soaring mountains and all that. And uh, uh, while there was plenty of horses in New York, there was uh, there were more bred for standard, more bred uh, standard breds. That, that was the breed of the horses that they. So they were uh, harness racing, mm-hmm. um, and that and thoroughbreds and um, more of the English. Um, uh, uh, what's the, dress, the, the dress yeah the dressage type of stuff yeah dressage, jumper mm. you know uh, that kind of thing mm-hmm. and uh so i you know, i i was born in the early 70s so i got to watch a lot of tv shows rerun tv shows from the 50s and 60s uh, you know, the cisco kid and f troop and bonanza and mm-hmm. and watching the old westerns with john wayne and and um and kirk douglas and 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 those actors and i just i fell in love with it i thought it was a good thing and uh so you know when i was a young boy i remember my mother saying like so one of these days you're gonna have to you're just gonna have to move to arizona and oh. that's that's where it's gonna have to be and she foreshadowed that i don't know some 30 years ahead of time so uh oh that's so, <laughs> so funny so yeah i just i just when i was a young boy i said you know if i if that, if once I can afford to do it, that's what I'll go do. So I moved to Arizona and that's what I did. Okay. There's more to it. I was going to say, okay, so there's obviously more to it in between because how long were you, at, so you did all of your schooling in New York. Is that correct? Most of it. Yeah. Most, of, Most it. of it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then what, where, where did you go for, to from there? Because I mean, um, you've been in surveying for, what did I say? 31 years. So that's. That's a good chunk of time. Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm not. I'm no spring chicken anymore. <laughs> um, Neither am I. <laughs> so the 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 long the long answer is is that my dad, being an electrical engineer, he was uh, he was he was uh, employed by uh, General Electric in New York, and uh, their their headquarters was down the road in uh, near Albany, and. So there, there was a plant in Syracuse that where he built uh, testing equipment for picture tubes. So this mm-hmm. was back in the days, 
So the plant would open and would close, and every time it would close, he'd be forced to move someplace. So we bounced around the north northeastern uh, the U- northeastern U- United States quite a bit when I was mm-hmm. a young man. So in 1980 to 1987, we had returned back to Syracuse after uh, living in a couple of other different places when that plant opened. And that's where I went through most of my primary schooling. And I had two years left of uh, high school left and uh, closed the plant down again. And so we moved again and I went back to the Midwest where I landed in Indiana for a couple of years. Mm And when I graduated from high school there, I decided to enter, enroll in, in a university, uh, Purdue University, um, which is a big engineering school in Indiana. Okay. And took my freshman classes and I said, I've had enough of Indiana. I'm going back to New York. So I enrolled in school and uh, in, in a school in New York, which is called the New York State Rangers School. It's oh. part of it's a, this. Now, this is the longest university name in, the, in America. I'm, I'm almost positive. <laughs> This is the State University of New York College of Environmental Science and Forestry, New York State Ranger School. Oh my gosh! So, <laughs> lovely three, two, two or three thousand acre campus uh, on a lake in the North Woods. We learned how to be foresters and land surveyors, mm-hmm. and we spent nine months up there, and. That's where I really learned about land surveying, and that's where I fell in love with it. And uh, so after graduating from there, I tried to go to find work as a forester without much luck. Right. And started knocking on doors of land surveying firms Mm -hmm. around the service area. And finally, one I convinced one to hire me, and that's where I got started. So where was that? That was called... uh, uh, Lear Land Surveyors in uh, in Liverpool, New York. Mm. So, oh, there's a Liverpool in there. New York. Okay. Yeah, there's a Liverpool in New York. <laughs> mm. Nice. We've got a Liverpool in England, a Liverpool in Australia. Same as Britain uh, in England, though. Mm, yeah. So, how long did you work with them for? Oh, six months. Oh, okay. And we, yeah, I was just a young guy, brash and full of full of ideas, and they were the wrong ones, and I got fired. So. Oh, oops. <laughs> That's not a good start to the career. <laughs> oh, not at all. And then I found another place and then I worked for them for a couple of months and I I made a few major mistakes and I was let go there. And then I said, okay, well, that's enough of living in New York and trying to work in New York. I'm going back to Indiana. Okay. I go back to Indiana and I find, find work with another surveying firm where... Mm-hmm. I start at the bottom and I shut my mouth and I just learn and I started absorbing it. And that's when I really started to gather it all in. Ah, so you finally learned from your mistakes. Yeah. The light went on. You know, I got enough, got enough kicks in the head from uh, my party chiefs and bosses that said, you know, shut up Mm -hmm. and listen, learn something. So how did you end up in Arizona then? Well, that's another long, convoluted story. Well, that's fine. We've got time because you've been you you have been in Arizona for a while, haven't you? Yeah, yes, yes. almost twenty years now. Yeah, almost twenty. Yeah. Um, so I met my wife when I was working in Indiana, mm-hmm. and her brother was uh, also went to Purdue, 
and ended up in Phoenix with his with his career. And we came out here to visit him when he got married. Okay. And that was the first time I ever stepped foot on in, in Arizona. And of course I just fell in love with it. And my mom was right. Listen to your mother. Okay. Can you just say that again so my boys could hear that, please? <laughs> Listen to your mother. So anyway, I fell in love with it. And we came back on vacation every once every so often to visit visit her brother. And one winter um in Indiana, it was it was particularly uh harsh. Um I was doing a lot of construction layout. Mm-hmm. And the, the firm I was working for, I was, I was a party chief there. And the problem with Indiana, the, well, this particular firm was that we, you, we got a lot of public um, contracts for highways and a lot of uh, major retail, um, uh, retail areas were developing their sites for the stores and the parking lots that go along with that. And the problem with the with the weather there between about thanks or Thanksgiving the end of November November yeah yeah you're not American so you you don't have Thanksgiving we got Thanksgiving no we um, know about it though <laughs> okay <laughs> so the end of end of November to about the beginning of April a lot of earthwork doesn't happen because the ground freezes oh and okay. When 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 the dirt is filled with all that ice, you cannot compact it. You can move it, but you can't compact it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the you know the site preparation doesn't happen. And so surveying work and you know, construction layout work well, comes to almost to a halt, and uh, work is difficult to come by. So we were out here on vacation in, in Arizona, and I'm this was in 2005, February 2005. And we're out here for two weeks and I'm looking at all the, all the improvements that are going on and all the construction that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, why am I freezing my tail feathers off back there? Wondering if I'm going to eat next week. Why don't we just move over here? And my wife and I hashed it out and we worked it out and yep, that's a good idea. Let's go. So we go back to Indiana. We, I start looking for work. I start looking for jobs. Two weeks later, I'm on a plane flying back to Phoenix. I have several interviews over a weekend. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, we, I, we decide on, on one particular firm. We set it up that two weeks later, I'll be coming in and starting the work. So back to Indiana, pack up everything. My father and I put what we could in our pickup truck and a and a trailer, and we drive across country because <laughs> he helps. It's, it's some two thousand miles, wow. so we both share the load as far as driving goes. Mm-hmm. And arrive in Phoenix, I start work on Monday, put Dad on a plane back to Indiana, and there I've been ever since. And uh, that's April history. <laughs> and the rest of my history, so much. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's uh, my history anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And yeah. Um, so you've been with Bauman for quite a while. Yeah, tw- uh, 2014 is when I started working. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so when, when you when you first moved to Arizona, because you have different, um, um, different positions – of Iman and Rodman and that kind of stuff. Um, 
So where did you start when you came to Arizona at that first company in what sort of position? I came in as what the, the, the title was officially called the project surveyor. Okay. But I was not licensed because I was not licensed in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was, it was as pretty much as high up the ladder as I could go yep. without, without a license. And I did, I was a field to finish surveyor. Yeah. I'd bring in the work. I talk to the client. I'd go out in the field. I'd do the field work. I'd do all the research. I'd come in and I'd draft it and draw it. And the only thing I couldn't do was stamp it and seal it. Yeah. Of course, I would present that to uh, to the registered surveyor on staff and one of them, whichever one was there, and mm-hmm. they'd approve it. There's the end of it. So I'd do 90% of the work. It was, uh, it was a pretty good deal. Yeah. But it was a small and uh, it was just before the downturn of uh, 2008 and mm. uh, simply just couldn't afford to keep me. So that's why they let me go after right. three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in, in Australia, do they, is it a national license for you guys or is it, is it broken up per province? Yeah. So each, each state you're registered or licensed in, in each state. Um, okay. Yeah. So there's some, so it's changing at the moment. Um, there are some surveyors who can work in different states. They've they've applied and are registered in both states. Um, we have something coming through at the moment, which is like a reciprocal rights kind of thing, that if you are registered in, say, New South Wales and you want to work um, in Western Australia or something like that, they're talking about having a reciprocal right where you have to be uh, you have to apply and be registered or something, and then you can work over there. So there's it's it's a bit of a contentious subject at the moment for some surveyors and and stuff because we in different states we do things differently uh, in in certain aspects and stuff. So so going from one state to another, if you've never worked there before and you don't know how their system works properly, then um, there could be issues. Sure. Yeah, well, that's so. Well, mm. I suppose if you if you were going from one state to another, you would find some a mentor who's been there for mm. X amount of time, who's got the experience to to work in that particular area, and they yeah. can teach you the give you you know you can learn the ropes that way, so that way you're not making as many errors. Yeah, um, that would that would be my my approach if I was going to. That's that's very similar. That's very similar to the American system, mm-hmm. where we you know to say it. it the the licenses don't transfer from state to state. Yeah, you know, for the, the for New Mexico immediately to the east, you, you can't even take your exam without having a, uh, a four year degree. Yeah, that that was what I was going to say. Is the difference over here is to be a licensed or registered surveyor, you have to have your degree. You do have to have yep. uh, have a, to have a it. minimum of four years for yep. your college. Okay. Yep. Yep, you have to have a degree in in, and that's in surveying or you know geomatics or you know the pretty much a surveying type. And we've got about six universities that you can do that across Australia. That's uh, that's not that's at least you have them to to go to. Mm. <laughs> Arizona doesn't have a university that even teaches it no. teaches Lance. I know, I know, but that mm. but you don't need to have a degree in surveying to be licensed, right. do you? Exactly. Not See? not in Arizona. We do not. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. learning. <laughs> How many states are there? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, 
You got 50 plus, <laughs> plus, 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 plus all the territories. Mm. So, okay, I might not learn them all. <laughs> I don't even know all the territories. And I'm a wealth of useless information. <laughs> Oh, do you so when you um okay, what let let me go back before we talk about your position and everything. What was it about surveying that dragged you in? Like why did when did you go that's that's what I want to do? What 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 hooked me? What got me yep. into the business? Well, like I said, I went into school as a learning wanting to learn forestry. Yeah. And um so being out in the woods was my draw yeah um so as we're out there counting trees and learning how learning tree identification and uh how some hydrology and how water moves and behaves and all that we also had to learn some surveying techniques mm. and i thought you know this nearly isn't as as bad as i thought it would be <laughs> <laughs> we were using the old, we were using the antique system of doing, mm -hmm. of serving. We weren't, we weren't out there with total stations. And of course, back in the early nineties, GPS wasn't even, no. you know, wasn't even considered as far as, um, you know, in, in, as widely used at all. Mm. So we're out there pulling, pulling two chains, two chain tapes and using transits and theatolites and compasses and uh, to, to do what we had to do. And I thought, this is really neat. This is how the old guys did it. This is, I, you know, I, I, the history, the, I was always a history buff anyway. Of course, watching old cowboy movies when I was a little boy. And uh, being out there, and they, 100 years ago, these guys were pulling tapes across these mountains and hills and rivers and lakes and making these measurements. And I'm doing the same thing. And I thought, that's pretty darn cool. I like yeah. that, mm -hmm. you know. So it just, I, it was just an easy transfer over from forestry when yeah. I couldn't find a, a forestry job. Yeah. You know, I, so it was, it was just, it was just easy to move over. Yeah. And granted, when I, when I was working in Syracuse, we weren't doing a lot of work in the woods. We were doing a lot of urban things, mm. but we did a fair, fair share of, uh, a fair share of work out in the country or, you know, in the, in the backwoods, but most of it was was more urban type work and it lost it it lost its shine i guess that i guess that coin lost its shine pretty quick <laughs> so anyways that's that's the that's the basics of it but yeah uh, yeah yeah okay. cool so when um so as you sort of came into arizona and you came into that kind of management position um, had you always thought as you were working in surveying that you wanted to be in that management position or it just no, not, happened? No, it, it was just a natural progression. Yep. You know, I, most people get in the land survey because they're, they want to be outside. They want to, they be, they want to work out and they don't want to be enclosed in with four walls and look at a computer screen all day. Mm. I get it. Believe me, I get it. But um, when I, when I, early on, when I was, when I, in, in my career, um, I got, in, I, I got hired by a, by a surveyor who was just starting his own business and he was working out of his home mm -hmm. and it was just he and I, you know, we work in his basement 
And at that time, there was no AutoCAD either. So we were drafting by hand yep. with T-squares and triangles and protractors. Mm -hmm. Same there, and, yep. And, 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 you know, and, and closing traverses, you know, with, you know, <laughs> you know, with the, you know, compass rules and all that. And I'm, you know, I couldn't remember how to do that now if I had to. <laughs> um, <Me neither. laughs> so I got an appreciation for the office work early on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I always wanted to stay out in the field. So, as I moved, moved through my career with different firms here and there, I always tried to have a balance of field and office, field yeah. and office. Yep. It wasn't a full-time draftsman. If I could do some sort of calculations or do some sort of data entry, something to keep me tied to the office side of things, I stayed in it. So as time moved on and I'm at Bowman and I'm a party chief and I'm, I'm working out in the elements. I'm also not a young man anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, every, you know, it's it just, it's just part of, it's just part of age. You, you know, it's not the miles, it's not the years, it's the miles that you put yeah. on yourself. So when you wake up in the morning and it hurts from the end of your big toe all the way to the end of your fingers, you know, something, you know, it just snaps crackles in the morning. And it's like, you know what, maybe I've had enough of this stuff. And, uh, I had I had I had had my license for you no know, let's see yeah it was 2014 when I got my license and uh, I had had my license for about four or five years and I was still working on the field I wasn't using it and I thought, oh. why am I going pain why should I deal with this kind of nonsense anymore why should mm -hmm. I go out in the element and fight the traffic and you know and deal with the heat and all that I got my license for a reason let's not you know, let's put it to use. I don't want it just sitting on a shelf collecting dust. Mm. So, so I said, and and we had we had uh, I was working for Kent Grow at the time. Yep. And Kent moved on, and his his office guy took over his his position, who's now my boss. Mm -hmm. uh, his name is Tony, great guy, young guy, very and very driven and very very motivated, and very sharp. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, he hired a project manager, and I was not impressed with this project manager's skills, even though he'd been doing it for quite some time. And I, he left. They put an ad, and they were going to put an ad out. And I said, "Hey, Doug, why don't you just hire me?" And he's like, "Well, why should I hire you?" And I was like, "Well, you know, getting laid it all out for him." And uh, so. That's where it ended up. So I'm a project manager now for Bowman. I have been since, oh, what, 2018, 2019? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, it, it, it's one of those deals now where it's, I, I don't manage people. I really just kind of handle the surveys as they come through. And, oh, my um, God, you've got the perfect job. I no pe no so. people management. <laughs> yeah, I still got to deal with them. But, yeah. I, you know. So it, it, it still, it's very fast paced and uh, it really does keep me on my toes, but mm -hmm. it, it is a good deal where, especially when I do go into the office, I work from home a lot. Yep. But uh, it, it, the way I put it is that when I go to the office, it's like, put the old man in his closet and let him put his puzzles together and leave him alone. <laughs> so that's what we do. Put the old man in his closet and let him put his puzzles together. So. 
works out good. Can't complain. I plan on retiring from, from Bowman. So nice. Oh, and I'm keeping me around that long. Mm-hmm. So you um. So when you say you sort of deal with the projects, do you like um work with the clients and stuff, or you're just the putting all of the the plats and and stuff together to get the information for the survey crews or? Most of them, uh, it's about half and half. I will do some, I will bring in work myself mm-hmm. and plan um, and deal with those clients directly. Um, as you know, and, and you're, you're quite, you're, you're pretty aware of this, that I'm rather prolific on social media. So my name is, is, is gets around pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And so in the Phoenix area, it's like, Whenever somebody gets in uh, on Facebook and says, I need a survey or who knows. And then I've got about 40 friends that I'll say, go call Phil. Yeah. You know, and then they call me and I tell them how much it is. They have sticker shock. They have a heart mm-hmm. attack. So, but, and, but, you know, and some of it is, is brought in, brought in by, uh, you know, the other surveyors on, on staff or our biggest client is our engineering department. Mm-hmm. So, the engineers will bring, will will get the work, and then they'll hire hire, for lack of a better term, survey to go do the necessary things that they need to complete their design, yeah, or whatever the whatever the client's looking to have done. So yeah, so as so that's something that I was going to ask you because um because it's not just a surveying company, um with your other sections and like your engineering section, do they always get you guys to do the work or do they outsource it to other surveyors? I'm, I have not, no, our office, Bowman is an interesting, is, is an interesting large company. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it's a dynamic that I've never seen before. And I, I like it. And so each office is almost, autonomous to itself okay it's almost it's not quite a franchise mm-hmm. where it's fully owned by somebody locally it's still owned by the by the corporation the yep. national corporation but each office is pretty much does its own work unto itself and so our engineering department to my knowledge has never hired out another surveyor mm-hmm. So they only used us in our department. Now, we, when we know our workload is too heavy for the manpower that we have, then we may call in some uh, some support from another firm. But to my knowledge, engineering has, has never done it. Yeah, so. okay. No, I just um, thought it was interesting because I've worked for companies and I know other companies who are, in the, basically, they were engineering companies that have taken on surveying companies, um, you know, into the fold and things like that. But they don't work together. They need survey work, and they just get they, they, they you know they go out to tender and get quotes and stuff, and don't even think to to use in house, which is bizarre. You would think it would be cheaper, I mean, and that's 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 usually the case that I found though is that. Engineering companies usually bring in surveyors. They either open their own survey department or they hire out because it's a necessary thing. They got to mm. have it in order mm. to do that. And that's one thing I love doing. I love doing to the engineers. I say, you know, I can do my job without you guys, but you guys yeah. can't do your job. <laughs> <laughs> 
just rub it in a little bit. <laughs> rub it in that little bit. <laughs> it's all it's all it's all part of that brotherhood thing. You mm -hmm. gotta needle the other. So Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's mm -hmm. the most interesting project that you have worked on? As in in my entire career, the mo the the I I would say the most interesting one was working on the uh, the expansion for the football stadium at Purdue University. Wow. Uh, uh, when I was working in Indiana, I was a party mm -hmm. chief, mm -hmm. and um, they needed the 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 owner of the company, the president of the company was a was a big uh, financial booster for the university and always, you know, going to their football games, rah, rah, you know, go, go Purdue. And uh, so when it was time to expand the football stadium, the firm was awarded that contract to do the, to do the layout. And it was, it was pretty work intensive because there was a lot of concrete caissons to be drilled out. So that way they can put the vertical uh, supports in to support the grandstand as it climbed up. And, they, and the end project was this massive press box that sit, that perched on top of the, of the grandstands above the football field. Mm -hmm. And so it's like an eight story building set on the edge of a knife. Wow. <laughs> it's just, it, really, it was really cool engineering project. Uh, so is it, but uh, as, as far as in my as a professional as a, you know, as, a, as an LS, I really haven't had a whole lot of really interesting ones. Uh, they're boundaries of boundaries of boundary to me almost. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing too nothing stands out as uh, like that was the neatest one you ever did. But, yeah, cool. Uh, Can, yeah. Okay, so as an LS, um, okay, so you said an LS. And is there, there's a PLS as well. Is that right? No, it depends no, on what state you're in. Oh, okay. Depends okay. on what state. The, the LS is, is kind of a blanket term across the, you know, the, the LS you're working for. But uh, officially in Arizona, we use, now Kent, Kent will argue this back and forth. So you can bring it up with him, but I use RLS. That's registered land surveyor. Okay. Go into another state that may require a four-year degree. They prefer RPLS, so Registered Professional Land Survey. Ah, oh, gotcha. You go to Florida, and they've got a different one. It's a PSM, Professional Surveyor and Mapper. So, right. so what state you're in is the what letters go after your name. Okay. So, so yeah. So I just use LS as kind of a blanket because it covers everybody. Mm, okay. So my next question is, as an LS, um, are you responsible for your plans or is it the company if something, you know, if something's not right on the plans? If The, the, the company, there's, the company carries the insurance the, yep. the, for omissions and, and, and errors. Um, so it's a 50-50. I take personal pride in it. Hmm. You know, it's my, it's my name that goes on that thing. And yeah. it's, my, it's my seal and I'm held responsible for it in perpetuity until I'm not, I, I, I don't, I lack the mental capacity to understand what's going on around me. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, so I've got, if that, if that's the case, I'm going to, I'm going to be responsible for it. So if there's a mistake, it's my problem. It's my, it's my fault. It's my problem to fix. So, but if, if it comes to a legal situation, somebody's got to pay for it. Thank God the company's got the insurance <laughs> the policy. Okay. So how- <laughs> yeah. Cause um, like uh, over here, our plans are, yes, they're, it's signed by the registered surveyor and they're the ones that pretty much are held accountable I believe if there's something wrong, even though they do work for a company and yes, the insurance and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, mm, interesting. No, and I, I, that's I, I think that's pretty much across the board, though. I mean, mm-hmm. very similar to me. I mean, if I'm brought into court because of my opinion, that's the whole idea behind this, the stamp and the seal, especially when it comes to a boundary. That's my opinion to where that boundary lies based upon the evidence we've we've found, whether mm-hmm. it's in the field or mm-hmm. in the documentation, that's my opinion. And if I'm brought into court because my opinion's being challenged, then certainly I'm responsible for that, not the company. But if there's been a major omission or a major mistake, yes, that is my fault, and I will take responsibility for that. But thankfully, yes, that's what the insurance is there to cover, to cover those mistakes. So that way, any kind of legal problems that come down the pike afterwards, they're covered. So mm. that's, I, 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 I think, I think it works well in that, in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, so we've seen lots of changes in, in, in the time that we've been surveying. You said you started with, you know, the chains and all that kind of stuff. And can I just say, look what I have on my desk. What do you got? I got to zoom in. I can't see. Oh, it's a spring. Oh, there we go. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Fancy Come that, hey? Yeah, you got chain tension, <laughs> chain tension spring. Very good. I do, I do. So um, how do you think what the the technology now and how do you think it's going to change even more so moving forward like and how it'll affect the industry it's changed so much it has it really gosh i mean and think about it 30 years Mm. how we from total stations and prisms and that's you know and that's where that's really where i started in in the professional sense yeah, but still drafting, still drafting with T squares and mm. with pencils and, and ink pens, and uh, to know where we are now, where we've got CAD that will process these point clouds that these laser these these digital laser scanners pull together. It's amazing. I mean, I technology is always going to change. There's always going to be somebody who comes up with a better tool to get the job done, whatever that job may be. Yep. The problem that comes along with that is that we rely too much on the technology to bail us out of this problem or that problem. Mm-hmm. And in the, human, in, the, in the process of trying to remove the human element and the error that comes along with the human element, we're losing the human element to assess and analyze the situation to come up with a solution. 
Yeah. So we can't rely on the black box to do everything for us. Mm -hmm. You know, I, matter of fact, I had, I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine the other day about, about fundamentals and, you know, changes in this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, you got to rely on the fundamentals. There are certain things that just don't change that have been proven for 3000 years as surveyors that you have to do in order to, to make sure things work. Mm. And this is one thing I tell every party chief that comes, comes across my desk is you've got to do your checks. Every party chief, a good party chief does his checks. A yep. great party chief checks his checks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> License surveyors in, in, in the same right afterwards. Um, you, you, there are certain fundamental things that you've got to be able to do and understand in order for the whole process to work. You can't just rely on that. Can't rely on somebody. Oh, well, here's your stake point. Go find the stake point. Oh, there's nothing there. We'll move on to the next one. Well, there's a reason why we gave you a stake point is because there's something worth looking for. We think the documentation says there's something there. Just because mm -hmm. you don't see it on the doesn't mean it's not there. And you got to dig for it. You got to hunt for it. And, the, and it's very important because all the documentation says that this thing's there and this boundary hinges upon the location of that particular thing, yep. whatever it is, whether it's a fence post or a stone or, a, or you know, a, a piece of rebar or an iron pipe or whatever the case may be. So mm -hmm. forensic got to solve the puzzle mindset seems to be going away. And... Uh, it's a hard thing to teach. It really is. I, I, it takes years to get that ingrained, I think, and to get that, um, get that kind of mindset going. The math is easy. If you can, you know, and yep. people are always worried about the math. I, I can't be a surveyor. I don't know anything about math. I said, there's very little math involved. <laughs> the hardest, that's the easiest thing to learn is the math. The hardest part mm. to learn is how to things and how to search for things and how to, Take the puzzle pieces that you find and put them together. Problem solved. The math make that make, helps facilitate that. So, mm. so that's, that's the thing I see with our with our profession going forward is that we actually need to go backward to go forward. Mm. We've got to go back to the fundamentals and teach those those things. Mm. Who who would you would you think would have has had the biggest impact on your career? I would honestly say that the, the first LS I was working out of his house, Nick Starr. Mm -hmm. I, he, that was his, that was his name, Nick, Nick Starr. And, uh, he really taught me how to do all that stuff. Yeah. You know, he, he taught me, he taught me how to research. He taught me how to investigate. He taught me how to, look for evidence and he taught me how to weigh this evidence versus that evidence to say which one should have more weight and carry and carry what we're looking for mm. and only five years that i worked for him but uh he i think that's where i learned really how to survey you know that's that's really where i learned how to do it and i'm, I'm grateful for it mm. um, he's retired now. he lives in florida i haven't oh. talked to him in many <laughs> Some it's, um, it's funny you say that because uh, I sort of had a similar situation where I was working where I well not where I started but where I spent most of my time and it was with a small 
surveying company, there was me and the registered surveyor and occasionally we would get others in, but I was pretty much nearly the constant that was there the whole time. And he did. He taught me from getting a client in to doing the search to ordering the plans to doing the calculations, going out and doing the survey, looking for the marks, um, no marks, using occupations, all of that kind of stuff and determining where all of this stuff was, come back, draw it up, invoicing, speak to the clients, the whole the whole shebang. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's, I, that's a great way to learn. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, because it turned out two good surveyors, you and me. So... <laughs> That's, I'm pretty that's good. That's so I'm not, kind. I'm not, <laughs> I could be better. Let's uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But we could that all be better. Kind of, yeah, uh, <laughs> but I think kind of I, I, I kind of a strange word for it. But that kind of intimate education mm -hmm. would be really great way to learn, and that's that's the kind of. That's what grew the profession for many, many, many years is that you had a team, whether it be just the party chief and the field crew, whether it be two or three man crew, mm. you guys working together all the time to learn from the more seasoned fellow. So that way, the younger ones coming in could learn the profession and that kind of intimate education you know, produces really good surveyors. And nowadays, we're with the one-man crew, obviously, who's going to teach? Who's going to teach them? You know, here's a piece of paper. Here's go look for those points, you know. Mm. And you don't, you, you do. I mean, they'll learn, though, but I don't think they're necessarily learning. They're, the quality is not that good, obviously, because they don't know whether they're learning right or wrong. They're just learning something. So, um, so yeah, that I would, I, I, that's the hard part with the engineering firm mm. is that I don't get a lot of time to really mentor these guys. I got a young guy who's very, he's very interested in the profession and he wants to learn, but I get 15 or 20 minutes with him once a week in the morning and here's your survey lesson for the week, you know, <laughs> it's that's a shame <laughs> because yeah, I, I think that the mentoring is is the biggest part of having that somebody who has the experience to be able to pass on pass on that knowledge. But it's also a two way street, you know, with the younger ones coming through, learning what they have to offer. But then they're also gaining that knowledge that that we've collected over the years as well. And it, it really isn't there anymore, is it? It's not. It's not. It's a shame. Mm. And. Oh, I wish I had a fix. If I had a fix, I wouldn't be a surveyor anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be a rich man. <laughs> well, I don't know if anyone pay for it, aren't they? Is it the tight ass people that you know don't want to charge and don't want to <laughs> don't want to pay? That's, <laughs> that's that's the other part of it too. Is that is the race to the bottom in in charging for fees? It's not allowing us to draw in people. No, I know. You know? You know, who wants to go, who wants to go work for peanuts in the conditions that we work for, mm -hmm. you know, that we work in and learn something like this, you know, for, for next to nothing. When, when I can go to the retail store down the street and make almost as much and all I've got to do is stock shelves, 
Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's amazing because, um, you know, from what I read and, and talk to people o- over there in America, that there's some states that pay really well and then states that don't pay well. And I feel that over in Australia, we're not too bad. We're, we're at a pretty good rate of paying our surveyors. I mean, um, you, you work in a in a small cadastral company or something, well, you're not getting as much money, which right. is weird because that's where you need the registered surveyors. They're the ones doing right. the boundary stuff. So they're the ones that have done the four years. The extra four years to get registered, you know, they're, they've put in that time as you would a, a lawyer or whatever you have it, yet they're not charging the fees that they should be charging for their services. And then you go right. to the construction side where they're getting paid so much money for this construction work. Yeah, they're working hard hours, long hours, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, you, and they're the ones that don't have the the university qualifications. Doesn't make they sense. They don't need them. I know. Yeah, doesn't no, make sense. <laughs> I don't yeah, get it. I, it. It is backwards. And, I don't. I, again, I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. But, yeah, that's. That's that's the whole reason why we're licensed is to is to protect you know is to render an opinion on that stuff and with construction layout you really don't need that you know yeah. it's the, here's the point go put it in the what's the math you know it's the elevation you know the elevation difference that's all you got to put down that's all they're worried about mm. but I wish I wish I had a simple answer but I I really think it begins with surveyors understanding. At least, at least in America, um, that we're not competitors; we're yeah. colleagues. Yeah. If, if we're not, you know, I'm. Uh, there's plenty of work out. There. The work is necessary, no matter what we do. That's yep. been proven for three thousand years. Mm. All and so to to undercut you to get that work. Is doesn't is, is counterproductive, you know. In my mind, mm-hmm. I mean, people don't think so, but in 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 my mind, I was like, no, I'm going to charge what I'm worth. I'm going to charge. I I spent X amount of years learning this stuff. I'm going to charge X amount of X amount of dollars for that. And if you get it because you your 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 costs are lower or whatever the case may be, great. Go get that work. Go ahead and go go get that work. But um, I don't think I don't think undercutting on purpose just to go get the work is necessary. Mm-hmm. It, it just cuts our knee, cuts us off at the knees. And now, now look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're stumbling trying to find people to get to get to go do this stuff, and we're getting older, and nobody's coming in. Yeah, so, it's crazy, very- isn't it? Um, you, you talk about that we're getting older and no people coming in and stuff. I mean, I know in Australia we've been doing a lot of work in the different states to get into the schools and 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 market ourselves more and all that kind of stuff to to get people in because people still don't understand what surveying is. Um, and if they do know what surveying is, they think it's just this little small yes land surveying part. But going right. okay, well, no, it's not. We have this massive massive industry profession of of different areas of surveying that you know what what it relates to that we're trying to mm-hmm. get those stories out there and and that's you know big on social media and I know we we push that kind of stuff on social media as well but um I don't, I don't know what it's like over there in America you know students um surveyors going into schools or getting the name out there more 
I honestly, and I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Elaine Ball, or Elaine mm-hmm. Clark now, uh, because she spearheaded that campaign for the Get Kids in the Survey, and I love it. Yeah, I wish I had more. I, I need to. I need to. It's not that I wish. I need to invest more time in recruiting young kids. Mm-hmm. It's not that I wish to have more time. I need to just set that time aside and, and put and get myself in there. So that way I can, I can sell this to those kids. It starts young. I didn't know what a surveyor was until mm-hmm. I was 20 years old. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and I think that's the case for, for many people out there, unless you grew up with, you know, a parent that was, that was surveying, you know, yeah. your boys are fortunate because mom's a surveyor. My girls are fortunate because dad's a surveyor, but Otherwise, they wouldn't know what it was, mm. you know. So Elaine's Elaine's campaign has really helped that, and I've been able to use it a couple of times and get into the schools. I don't know how much of an impact it may, but uh, that's where it starts. You got to make that recognition early. It's like you know this this is might be something I want to do when I grow up. You know, mm. not every kid can be a fireman or a policeman or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever that, whatever that is, and gives them an option to think about as they go through their school career. And then maybe they want to pursue it once they get past their primary schooling. Mm. So who knows, but we just got to keep plugging at it and keep selling it and, and be good ambassadors out while we're out there in public. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, on, on social media itself, I see, I see a lot of these fellas that, on these public sites and they're griping about this, that, or the other thing. And they're using foul language. And then it's like, Mm. okay, you know, if it was closed and private and the general public can't see this yet, swear like a sailor, you know, do whatever you got to do, get it out of your system. But where it's public and the general public comes in here looking for surveyors for work, They've got a job that they need a surveyor for, and they're coming in here and, and hey, you know, and uh, trying to recruit us to, to get their job done. You need to be more professional, you know, yeah. and you've got a good ambassador for, you know, for this profession that you know your game and you're going to be polite and, you know, you're, you're not going to be, you're not going to be crude, yeah. you know, and I, we all need to work better doing such things i'm just as guilty as the next guy you yeah know, i'll start swearing like <laughs> oh please <laughs> i have my moments um i think when it comes to that you um that's where you have that industry profession um you know discussion of these guys yeah. and, and and um you know it whether you're qualified or not, um, I, I call it both. It is both, but I think it that comes down to how, for me personally, I see it as how they're treated within the company as well. Mm-hmm. They are just workers. Yeah, yeah I agree. Not, I they're mean, not I... invested in the company. They they get treated like crap. They get paid crap. So, yeah, I mean, and it, it, it depends on their how the company treats them. And it also depends on their outlook. Am I here for just a job or is this mm. a career? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I'm here for the paycheck, you know, they're going to be more flippant and less professional about it. But if they see it as a lifelong investment, mm. 
And some, you know, that, that comes to a realization that that realization comes to us, you know, some to some to some of us much, much later in life. Yeah. But, uh, you know, once you realize that this is, I don't know anything else and nobody, I can't learn anything else. And this is the only thing I can make money at. I might want to invest myself in it and, you know, present myself as, uh, you know, in, in such a way that it, that it reflects well on the profession and my company. And, uh, so I guess that's, that's one thing where the cowboy thing comes in, ride for the brand. And that's yeah. what I do. Mm. I'm, I'm proud to sell Bowman and yeah. my profession, you know, yeah. together. Yeah. So, And that just shows that that's a, a good company. I th- I like to think so. Yeah. I, you know, they, they, they work hard at, uh, at, uh, at human and human capital, if they will, for lack mm. of a better term, but they, they work hard to retain good people. Yeah. You know, they, they, once they know they got, they've got a good person on staff that they, they'll do what they do, what they have to do to keep them there because it's mm. hard to find, you know, so, uh, so they, they make that investment. Yeah. And I'm glad to see. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's nice. Well, especially when you say that you're going to retire there. Well, I assume I'm going to retire. I'm going <laughs> to just die on the job. Well, <laughs> Oh gosh! Don't say that. <laughs> well, okay. no. work until I'm dead. How's that? <laughs> oh no, I don't want to work until I'm dead. I want to go and enjoy things. <laughs> I don't blame you. I, I don't blame you. I I, I don't know. I, it, it's a it's a personal thing. I I'm. It took me a long time to get my retirement to where I needed it. And then I had to use it. And now I spent the last 10, 15 years trying to get it back. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. struggle. So I, I, I never see retirement really as, as an end goal for me. I, I don't see myself stopping work. So until my health prevents it, I guess. So yeah. that's yeah. as, as long as I, as long as I enjoy it, I'll keep going. Look yeah. at that fellow! Look at the fellow in Indiana last year passed away, hundred and some odd years old. He was oh, still off the field. I know that was amazing. You know, that was so amazing. God bless him for for going on that long. It was, mm. He was a, he was he was a real gem. Yeah, real yeah, gem. definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, what motivates you? My kids. I'll be mm-hmm. honest with you. So the, the, the watching watching them grow up and you know watching them learn and um, I I've got a I've got a I've got a little mantra that I, I like to say is that I don't I don't live to work I work to live yeah okay so you know and I I think that's a healthy outlook to things you know this position allows me the means to enjoy my life outside of work so got a nice place to live i've got three hungry mouths to feed outside with long faces you know and then i got my 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 two and that's not ones. your daughter and wife daughters and wife horses out back and then my twin daughters of course learning how to learning how to manage those animals so mm-hmm. it's, uh, mm-hmm. that's what motivates me is just mm. to watch girl mm. and they're becoming quite the horse Horse women in their own right, so I'm really proud of them. So that they are, I do follow. I do follow the stories of the wonderful places and things you get to do. So I'm jealous, <laughs> very jealous. 
Well, there's, there's plenty of beautiful places in Australia too. So, I mean, there's beautiful places all over the world I'll probably never get to see. No, true, but, but I live in a city. Yeah, you live in a major city too. Mm, so, yeah. To get to, to get to the real countryside and or get to the get to the wilderness. Well, my 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 in laws live an hour and a half down the coast, and they live on property. But um, I couldn't have a horse there. It's just not 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 feasible. They can't look after it. It's too far away, sort of thing. So, I've got a friend who lives pretty much in the same area, and she's got a couple of horses. So I try and get down there occasionally and take the horse for a ride and. It's not as easy as we'd like it to be. That's no. why. That's why we want you know we we push to have you know make sure that we have them on our property because that way I have them. Yeah, and I don't have to get up and drive an hour and a half or, or an hour to go to go see them or worry about somebody else taking care of them. So yeah, that way it, it's that's 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 the reward for hard work. You know, this is yep. what we want. This is what I work for it, and this is what I got. So. Mm. Mm, nice. What's your guilty pleasure? Guilty pleasure. <sighs> peanut butter. I oh. love peanut butter. Okay. Crunchy or smooth? Oh, I'm a crunchy guy. Yes. I love it. <laughs> it's got to be crunchy. I don't know how people can do smooth peanut butter. <laughs> I can't do it. I gotta, there's got to be some texture involved. Just there, wrong. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't. I, I just, I never, I never really got into it, but, uh, yeah, actually, I saw something yesterday on, on social media. I just loved it. It was just they took a Reese's peanut butter cup and oh, dipped yes. it in marshmallow sauce and then put it on a fork and put it over the campfire. Mm. And I thought, that is genius. Why didn't I think of that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as soon as we fires, that's what I'm doing. So uh, you got to try that. So I tried, I tried that, but I had um, chocolate digestive biscuits they're like a choc wheaten biscuit they're a biscuit um then they've got mm-hmm. chocolate on them so then i melted the uh, i melted the marshmallow on the fire and then stuck it between my biscuits that way sounds great yeah there's a, there's, a, there's another one that we tried it was a, a shortbread short shortbread cookies or yep. shortbread biscuits mm-hmm. so there's 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 a company here in America that 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 makes them they their chocolate on one half of it and then their striped chocolate on the other mm-hmm. and then you grill your marshmallow over the fire and then you put it between the two cookies yeah and of course the chocolate's already there so and then that hot marshmallow just melts it yeah just- so that's similar to the digestive bis but they're not a shortbread they're a different type yeah okay one more thing what one more thing about peanut butter do you, um. Yeah. Peanut butter on a spoon, half a spoon, and then dunk the other half in Nutella. Oh well, okay, yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm not. I've never been a big Nutella fan. You got to try. But, uh, certainly chocolate chips. You know. I'll, oh yeah. I'll, I'll put. Cho- I'll just put a handful of chocolate chips in there, and I'll take that spoon and I'll <laughs> smack it right in, <laughs> mash it in, there, have a big old bite. No. And then my wife. I don't mean because I got peanut butter in my mustache. So. <laughs> oh, too funny. <laughs> okay, moving on from food. <laughs> What's the most unusual place that you've been? Most unusual place I've been. Mm. And surveying related. This is just anytime, anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. Okay, okay. 
really, I haven't gone. I'm, I am as about as dull as it gets when it comes to that stuff. Or what's the most memorable place that you've been? Oh, I've been, I've been to a lot of memorable places. Of course, I've got, I've got one of the wonders of the world four hours away from me in the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's one place that's just, you, you, pictures can't do it justice, and I can't describe it well enough for anybody who's never mm-hmm. seen it. Mm-hmm. Understand it. It's, it's one of those places you have to see, um, along with the Yosemite Valley, mm-hmm. uh, California. I haven't done a lot of travel abroad. I mean, yeah. I, I, I live as, I live three hours away from Mexico and I've never been across the border. Um, but as a kid in New York, I've been to Canada. So we had Niagara Falls. Yep. Niagara Falls, my back, you know, was only a couple hours down the, down the road. And mm. I spent a time there as a kid. And honestly, the, mo- the most interesting places are right here in Arizona. Um, I just love the history. I love the diversity of this of this of this place. It, of course, all the you know the old west that goes along with it, but the mining, um, the the whole reason people came here was for gold and copper and mining those mis- mining those minerals. Mm-hmm. And so then the cattlemen came, and you know, so that's that all kind of ties together. Yeah, and you you got such a diverse landscape. We can have sand dunes in one part of the state, and an hour later, you're in the cactus, and we've got the big, tall, green swarrow cactuses. They, you know, oh, the arms. Cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then the hillsides are covered with that with bare rock that's just that soars up a thousand feet in the air. And then you drive another couple of hours, and you're up in high country. You're over six thousand feet, seven thousand feet in elevation, and you've got pine trees everywhere. You know, and it's it's a pine forest and running creeks and you know lakes stocked with fish and it's wow. and then you go further even north of the highest point highest part part of the state in the winter time you can go snow skiing downhill up on the on the side of the mountain really? if you live in Phoenix yeah yeah and then and if you live in Phoenix two hours away you can come home and go swimming hmm. so that's something that's you can crazy. do crazy. <laughs> Back east in New York, I couldn't do that. It was mm. cold in the winter. It stayed cold, and we got all the way to Florida, <laughs> so, some three thousand miles away. You know, this is the elevation change makes makes it so diverse. And then the ocean isn't all that far away either, so it's a, it's a little bit further for than you. But you're you're also on the coast too, so yeah, that's right. Yeah, how where where would you go to go to the ocean? The closest, the closest American one is in San Diego or Los Angeles, so that's about a five, six-hour drive. Yeah. Uh, or you've got something but, down in Mexico, don't you, close to the border or something? Yep, the Sea of Cortez in Mexico, and that's only about a three-hour drive. Mm. But you got to go into a different country, so you got to have your passport and be ready for immigration and that kind of stuff and different rules, different laws. And mm. I, To me, it's not worth it. Yeah, drive three hours and go to San Diego. So it's still too far to go for the beach. It's I well, I didn't grow up on the beach, so I didn't. no, I know, I know it's different for different people. I love the mountains. I you know I I love all that sort of stuff as well. But there's just something about the ocean. Yeah, no, there's something that draws us all to the to the, to the ocean, and I get it. Mm. I when I do get out there, it's it, it, I, I find peace in it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy it. 
part of the problem with some of the American beaches is that you got to watch out for the for the syringes that are on the that are oh. on the shore from the drug users and you know some of the litter that's out there. But yeah, it's not as pristine as we'd like to see. But there are, there are places where you can go see that stuff mm. and you mm. see its natural state the way it should be. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. So speaking about that kind of stuff, what do you do to relax? Oh, I get on my horse. I, I, that's pretty much it. Even though, um, I mean, you, you've got experience with horses, so it's mm. he's not a throw a leg over and point his nose and he'll just take he'll just take you there. You got to work. You got to work in order to, to ride him. He's not he's not an easy horse to ride. But um, just focusing on him and what I've got to do to communicate with him. Um, it, it, it kind of, yeah, it relaxes me. It just, it makes, it gives me a disconnect from all of the survey yes. stuff. Yep. From the news, from work, from client demands, from wife's demands, kids' demands. It's just me and that horse and we're going to go for a walk mm. and hopefully it's a nice walk. <laughs> it's an attitude about him. And actually what I learned is this. Um, you, you're familiar with how horses really can hear your heartbeat, correct? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. feel feelings. And I learned that recently that, uh, I, I've been having problems with him. I was like, I've had this horse for 13 years. And when I first had him, I was a smoker. I was a lot lighter. Um, but it was just he and I, and we didn't have any other animals in the barn with us it was just he was the only only animal we had in the barn mm. and we got along just fine we'd go off for a ride and he was just calm as calm as a cucumber he, you know he didn't get affected by anything he didn't get spooked by anything and then as time came on and we started adding these other horses to our stable he gets more antsy he's getting more antsy especially mm -hmm. when you know we separate and you get they're herd animals, so he wants to be with his buddies, and I get that. But I come to find out after I go to the doctor that my heart rate, my blood pressure is through the roof. Oh. And I put, finally, it clicks. It's like, he hears my heart rate being only three feet away from me, his ears being three feet away from my chest. He hears that. Mm -hmm. He feels that in my body sitting on his back. And so, since he feels that elevated uh, blood pressure, well, if he's anxious, well, I'm going to be anxious too. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start, you know, so he's more on edge. You know, he's, he's jiggy, he's antsy, he's prancy, he's got, he's got, you know, he's more difficult to handle. And after I started taking my blood pressure meds, that mm -hmm. elevated activity starting to settle down mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's worked i'm getting back to that point where when i first bought them that uh you know we're making that better connection now so it's working out <laughs> sorry that was a long way around no that, no it's 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 interesting because you know there's people that don't don't understand that kind of stuff when it comes to to animals or or especially with horses because you know you they have a mind of their own <laughs> I know exactly. people say to me that they get on a motorbike 
um and they they say a very similar thing to you you have to you have to forget about everything else around you you have to pay attention to the 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 bike and and well the surroundings around you and, and stuff like that so you've got to really focus on that it's it's um it, it's it's similar in the cutting yourself away from everything else that you've got to focus really on intent on what you're doing yeah understanding that you know how how they react to you because yeah of course a motorbike reacts you know if you accelerate it's going to go faster isn't it <laughs> whereas yeah, yeah i mean it, it, it doesn't react it only reacts to what you do yes that's right it doesn't or the surface or the surface that it's on mm. it have a mind of its own where if you know i'm if i'm on my horse and i'm riding along the roadside and a fire truck comes by with lights and sirens blaring by. Well, my horse has never seen that before. What's yeah. he going to do? Mm. You know, mm. is he going to blow? Is he going to? Is he going to buck and rear? And we'll have a rodeo, and I'll get thrown out into traffic, or will he not care and just yeah. let it go on? Yeah, you know, one thing that you know, the bicycle and the motorcycle and the motorcycle don't do. They're just going to you know, you just keep on going, and the fire truck keeps on going. It's not going to affect you, but the horse, it might. Yeah, so you gotta right. be, you gotta be ready to, you know, ready to handle the situation should it happen. Yeah, yeah. Before we move on from the horses, um, I just wanted to, uh, usually, you know, I ask this kind of question right at the end, but I want to do it now because it does relate to the horses and your volunteering and the things that you do. Tell me, okay. about them. you you do a few, you do a few things. Things, yeah, I do a few things. I got involved with. Uh, my first, the first one I got involved with, and I'm still involved with it, is called the uh, it's called the Phoenix JC Comancheros Pony Express, mm. and um, it's it's Arizona's second oldest pony express ride. There's several of them in the state that they do. Let's let's backtrack a little bit, go into history. So back in the 18, 1880s. 1880s? Oh, no, maybe 1860. I don't know. Just before the telephone and the telegraph. Mm -hmm. In order to, with the Western expansion of, of America, San Francisco had, had, uh, had, had grown on the California coast, and St. Louis was on the Mississippi River in the middle of the nation, in the middle of the continent. And in between that was this vast wilderness of nothing. So they wanted to get mail from St. Louis or from Missouri rather to San Francisco, but they didn't want to put it on a ship and send it all the way down to the south end of uh, the south end of uh, South America and then back up the, the Pacific mm -hmm. side of you know, both continents. Why don't we run horses across the continent? It'll be a lot quicker. So they found out that they could carry mail on horseback in a relay from Missouri to California in 10 days. Well, that's certainly better than the, what, three months it takes to go all the way around yeah. South America yep. by, by a sailing ship. So they, that took off and it only went 18 months before the telegraph came in and, and uh, put it out of business. But as a historical um, uh, representation we started doing the, this group started doing this to raise money for charity. So they go 150 miles between Phoenix, the current capital of Arizona to Prescott, 
the territorial capital of Arizona. It was the capital of Arizona before it became a state. Okay. And uh, there's there's a whole history that goes along with that too, but uh, I won't get too deep into it. No, we, we don't need that one now. <laughs> so anyway, they, this 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 outfit started started running started carrying the mail that 150 mm-hmm. miles of relay between the two towns to raise money for a hippotherapy facility here in Phoenix. And uh, what hippotherapy is is using horses to facilitate muscle movement. In, uh, in in people that may have trouble walking or learning how to walk yeah. or uh, have the they they need the mental they need the mental help or they have uh, learning disabilities i i'm i'm not really well versed in how to say all this stuff but uh yeah. the it, it, i can only say that i've seen the magic happen yeah where you've taken a kid who's six or seven years old, who's autistic and has never said a word in his life. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he can communicate and he communicates through drawing or using his hands or pointing at things, but he's never spoken a word. And then you put him on the back of a horse and something about that connection between the horse and the kid and the kid just starts talking perfect English. Uh, about all yeah. experience, you know, and it's just, it brings tears to your eyes. Yeah. And uh, so this, this facility is the largest horses health is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it's the largest facility in Arizona that does this kind of work. And they don't, they don't, it's not just limited to uh, hippotherapy, but it's, they, they use horses for all kinds of different, different things to increase uh, the people's, um, you know, they're, they're the quality of their life, whether yeah. they're wounded warriors and they've seen combat and they've seen all kinds of nasty things. And they go, even if they just go groom the horses, brings them that peace that they yeah. need, you know, or, yeah. or police officers that have seen, seen nasty things. So anyways, we raised 30 some odd thousand dollars last year with the Pony Express uh, for this facility last year, and we're fixing to move that up to about forty thousand dollars after this year's event, mm, which is happening. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So there's that, and uh, let's see another another outfit that I'm with is um, it's a local. It's local. Everything's local, but I don't consider Phoenix local. It's quite a drive away. You know, I'm in the suburb now. So the small town that I live in now has a. Uh, we work with the local sheriff and we're uh, the Queen Creek Mounted Posse. Mm-hmm. We're a search and rescue unit that's, um, that's done on horseback. So when somebody gets lost out in the, out in the wilderness, uh, of course, they'll bring in foot soldiers to go do a search or drones or helicopters or whatever. But sometimes they, the, the train is where they, the only, only horses are, are uh, usable mm-hmm. to do the search. So they'll call us in and, uh, you know, help look for that, look for that lost hiker uh, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So that's, 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 a, that's one of them. And then the other one is uh, I'm just, just now getting involved with, it's called the Friends of Horseshoe Park. It's a, it's a large equine facility here in, in the town of Queen Creek. And uh, we basically help facilitate the, uh, the it's, it's town owned. But we we help with the loose ends, you know, some of the facility things, 
like uh, the community arena, some of the obstacles that we use for that way, people who don't have uh, a place on their property to ride their horse, they can come to this arena and they can use, they can use the facilities there um, and uh, exercise their animal or, or, you know, whatever the case may be, train their animal, whatever. Yep. So uh, those three things are what pretty much keep me out of my wife's hair. So <laughs> we're going to involve a 4-H, which is an agricultural thing to help kids with uh, leadership skills and uh, oh, nice. agricultural skills and that kind of thing. So that's where my daughters are. Uh, my daughters are involved with that. So they're learning how to <laughs> learning horsemanship through that. Beautiful. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. All right. I just wanted to throw that in there while we were talking about the horses because I think it's pretty cool all of the sort of community engagement that you do and and volunteering and things like that. So it's it's really nice to see. I mean, it's 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 just I, this is this is one, and I I love my parents to death, but they never did any community involvement in this way. They go to church, and that was that was their community involvement. It was was it was going to the church services. Um, but they never did anything outside of that while I was a kid. And, uh, to me, I've, I've busted my hump for so many years, learning my craft, learning my profession, and it's paid me back rather well, I like to think. So mm -hmm. I, I, I can't just keep it to myself. So I got a, I've got, I've got other skills and talents that I can put to use that the community can benefit from. I think. Yeah. So that's where it goes. Mm. That's, that's where it goes. nice. That's nice. Okay. Big question. Do you regret your decision to become a surveyor? Absolutely not. <laughs> no hesitation in that. I mean, mm. it's made me who I am today. Yeah. And if I, you know, Otherwise, I wouldn't be this lovable guy that you see now. I know. So. I know. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. <laughs> so, change the thing. I love it. <laughs> uh, okay. If you had the chance, um, would you have uh, rather have a real get-out-of-jail card or the key that opens any door? Oh, I'd rather have the key that opens yes. any door. Yeah. I'm a I'm a good boy. I don't go to jail. <laughs> Wouldn't need it. Wouldn't need it? Okay. <laughs> if you see a puddle on the ground, do you walk around it, jump over it, or jump in it? Depends on what, it depends on what shoes I have on that ah. thing. And usually I now listen. Now usually I've got cowboy boots on and I'll go right through it. But <laughs> If I've got my, if I've got nice, if I got a meeting and I got nice office office shoes, no, I'll go around. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, oh, I'm sensible in there somewhere. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if you had a superpower, what would it be? Oh, I make twins. I've got twin <laughs> daughters, so that's my superpower already. And <laughs> I, I honestly. If I had a superpower, I, I, I'd like to hear what the animals say. Oh. That way, I, that much better, you know? So that way I can say, you know, you know, pull your head out of your ass and pay attention to what I'm telling you, you know? 
Well, then you know why he's cranky. <laughs> Actually, where does it hurt? Mm. Why is, you know, if he's in pain, I'll know why he's in pain and where it hurts. Mm. So mm. they say horse nice. suffering because, you know, they, they go through this pain. You don't know they're, they're, they're hurting. So, mm. Mm. yep. That's nice. That's yeah. a nice one. Yeah. If you could go back in history, where would you go? So many places. I know. So many I've got uh, the honestly, I would love to be on the survey crew for Verplank Calvin. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Verplank no. Calvin. No, I'm not. He was the New York State surveyor in charge of mapping the Adirondack Mountains back in the late 1860s. And if you can ever get your hands on any of his writings um, and his survey reports that he made to the state assembly, mm -hmm. um, I highly recommend it. I mean, it, it reads like a, like an adventure novel that traversing mountainsides and cliffs in the dark of night through thunderstorms, you know, designing yeah. and building canvas canoe that way he can traverse these ponds and lakes that were high up in the hills mm -hmm. uh triangulation stations and engineering he had to engineer it out in the bush you know and to work on one of those crews i think that would be i think i think that would be amazing I and mean, he's he's the reason where really why i became interested in surveying at all mm -hmm. is because of the work he did in new york state yeah right so Nice. You know, interesting. I'll, really have cool. look, I'll have to look that up. I'll send you a link. Mm, I'll cool. send you a link. Oh. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay. At a party, where could someone find you? Behind the bar. <laughs> Getting everyone else drunk. <laughs> not sharing. No, not sharing. <laughs> what are you, beer, whiskey? Bourbon, uh, but yeah, bourbons, whiskey. Um, what do you drink? Big beer, beer, Big Crown Royal. That's my guy. Mm -hmm. Crown Royal is my brand. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the that's one of the things on the Pony Express that we do. If you have there's penalties involved with the Pony Express. If you lose your hat, or if you fall off your horse, or if you drop the mailbags, or if you're not mm -hmm. there on time, mm -hmm. that oh, you owe the. Uh, the chairman or the, the what they call the trail boss, the guy who's running the event, you owe him a bottle of whiskey. Oh so, gosh. Jeez. Yeah. So <laughs> lucky him. <laughs> lucky him. So he was he was really hunting hard this year. He didn't get any. He didn't oh, get any. Okay. So <laughs> fair enough. Okay. If if you could if you could change one thing about surveying industry, what would it be? Get rid of the one man crew. Mm. Get rid of it. Together, bring a minimum of two men on yep. every survey group. Yep. Period. Yep. So. And there's a couple of reasons for that too, I think, because yeah. you, you're learning and your safety. And I know that you're big, you're massive on safety. Yep. That's exactly right. First one is safety. Second one is mental. Health. Well, yes. Sorry. Those two are, yeah, those two, those two are, the, are the primary reasons to have it. And mm -hmm. I can't. Everyone should find economical reasons to keep it, as far as I'm concerned. Find a way to put it in your budget. That way you've got it. Yep. So otherwise the profession dies. Yeah. So Okay. Would you make the same choices again if you had a do over? Yeah. 
I would. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, all the, all those choices behind me got me to where I am today. Yep, so, exactly. Includes that girl that I've been married to for twenty seven years. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that more than life? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. She must. Yeah, I wouldn't it. change. You know, she, I, I, I tell her every once in a while though. You could have said no, lady. You know, you could have said no. <laughs> I say that to my husband. You knew what I was like before you married me. <laughs> Life would be so boring without us. I know. <laughs> I know. They don't get that sometimes, I don't think. <laughs> what's, he, what's he do? Is he a surveyor too? Oh, You're God, no. No, 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 no. He's, uh, he's an electronics technician. So he, yeah, he, he fixes things. He designs, builds things. Yeah. He doesn't get my, I don't think he gets my, my passion for my industry, my profession. <laughs> well, I mean, for people on the outside looking in, yeah, they, they usually don't. Mm. But uh, I, I think, well, I know I, I, they may not understand it, but they, I'm sure a lot of them appreciate it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I, I, I get that a lot. I, I, I come across people that say, I don't know what the hell you do for a living, but I really like the fact that you enjoy what you do for a living. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure you get the I'm sure you get the same thing. So yeah, but yeah, my my wife doesn't know what the hell I do for a living. She still has to figure it out. <laughs> After twenty seven years. <laughs> Interested, so and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. All right, done with the hard questions. We've got our quick shots to go. Okay. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Cat or dog? Dogs. Sunrise or sunset? Oh, beautiful sunrise this morning. I'll say sunrise. Mm -hmm. Summer or winter? Summer. Even though it gets so hot there. Yeah. That's why I'm I'm here. Land of endless. So today, as we're recording, it's like 45, 46 degrees Celsius over there in Phoenix at the moment. So it's just crazy. Roller coasters. Do you love or hate them? (laughs) Roller coasters? Yes, I love roller coasters. Three items you'd take to a desert island? Um, A satellite phone, pocket knife, (laughs) and a boat. (laughs) I think that's what most people have been saying lately. And a boat. (laughs) Favorite song or artist? Van Halen. Mm. Uh, And the the song, um, so uh, so this is love. I don't know why it's not the verbs. It's not the words of the song that does it. It's it's mm-hmm. the groove. It's the music behind it. Nice. Favorite movie? Tombstone. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, favorite book? Do you read? Been a long, I don't have a lot of time. I don't make a lot of time to read, but uh, favorite novel? I would say, you know, we're going back quite a ways, but I would say 1984. Mm. You introvert or extrovert? An extroverted introvert. <laughs> Is your glass half full or half empty? It's too big to begin with. <laughs> Overfilling. <laughs> One thing you'd never do again. See, that's just it. That's where we're getting into. You get into regrets again. Uh, I'll never drink Jaggermeister again. How about that? Oh, really? <laughs> 
think I turned myself inside out back in my early 20s at one yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. They, they always say there's that one that you just won't touch again. <laughs> Mine's Southern Comfort. If you had a warning label, what would it be? Uh, may go off at any moment. Oh, okay. Okay, good to know. <laughs> Who knows you best? My wife does, mm-hmm. no doubt. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite subject in school? History. Mm-hmm. History. Nice. Favorite childhood memory? Uh, do you want the long or short, short. version? Short. Okay. <laughs> this giant fish that my brother had caught. So there's a big there's a good story that goes along with it, but it was a really good memory as a kid. Nice. We can talk about that one later. Favorite food? Uh, Brajol. It, my mother's Brajol. It's uh, it's a kind of stuffed beef. Okay. Favorite drink? Like sweet iced tea. That's kind of my default mm-hmm. day drink, but otherwise it's uh, Crown and Coke. Uh, pet peeve? Communication. Poor communication. Uh, oh. Asking that, not asking any question that you don't ask, the answer is always no. And that's always the stupidest question is the one you don't ask. So. That's what I, that's my pet peeve. Win the lottery or the perfect job? I've done both. <gasps> Have you? When having the, no, I've never really won the lottery, <laughs> but having my job is like winning the lottery. Okay. So. Okay. Fair enough. Biggest fear? Biggest fear, not seeing my daughters grow up. Mm. You know, just uh, expiring before that happens. Yep. You know. Yep. Favorite sport? Rodeo. Oh, cool. Nice. Yep. I used to be very good at barrels. Oh, yeah. Barrel racing? Mm-hmm. Right on. Good deal. I, I, like every, I like every little thing that goes goes involved with rodeo. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Mm, nice. A morning or night person? I'm, I'm a morning guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Proudest moment? Holding those two twins in my arms that day they were born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how old are they now? They'll be 12 next month. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, we were, I was 39 when they were born. So yeah. it was, a, we were married 15 years when they finally showed up. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pretty, pretty special. Yeah, for sure. Dream car. Dream car. 1967 Ford Thunderbird. Cool. I'd love to have that. Mm. Always want. Favorite color? Green. Green. Mm. I like green. Uh, Apple or Android? No, Android. Okay. I never figured out apples. I never figured. Never figured them out. (laughs) On a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? Oh, I'm a 12. Nice. <laughs> love it. Love it. Surveyor. <laughs> and lastly, what's your star sign? Oh, Aries. I'm an Aries. Aries. I don't know what that means. Yeah, uh, I'm an Aries. Okay. Interesting. Cool. All right. Well, that's it from me, Phil. All right. Well, thank you, Peter. Great talking to you. I'm glad. I wish I could shake your hand, but. This, I'll, I'll take this as a fine substitute. I'll be in Las Vegas in November. Las Vegas is a five-hour drive from Phoenix. 
So when in November? Six, I think. For dimensions, I'm going for tr Trimble Dimensions. Oh, okay. You're going up there for the for conference. Yes. Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's been lovely talking to you and meeting you finally. Yes, yes. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Defining Boundaries. Stay tuned in a fortnight for another great guest. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. 